Good morning. How's everybody doing? I am, I am so excited that you're here. If you're brand new, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed Church, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here. Let me just say right away that after this, we're having kind of an ice cream social, and some of you probably caught that on the way in. We have enough for you to have a second, so you don't have to lie or pretend here. Just be authentic with your, uh, with your ice cream gluttony. It's fine. It's fine at this church. We accept people where they're at here at Kesed. Uh, so hang out afterwards. It's going to be a lot of fun. Meet some people you've never met before. And uh, yeah, just, just, you know, we all know that the rain's coming, right? You all know that. You haven't bought into this lie that, that, <laughs> that this is where we live. Uh, what an amazing summer so far, and I've sure enjoyed it. But um, just hang out, take advantage of uh, the last few weeks of amazing, consistent weather, and uh, connect with somebody. So we are in part two of a series called Hullabaloo. And we are talking about what it means to uh, rediscover the lost art of celebration. Now, this has been an interesting topic for a lot of us because there's some people who are just naturally gifted at, at celebrating, and there's other people who it's very hit and miss, and then there's people who never celebrate. And so I, I wanted to kind of figure that out. I wanted to ask that question. When it comes to celebrating, when it comes to especially celebrating the things God is doing in your life, uh, why do some of us miss it, like me, I miss it quite often, and others just seem to always find that ability to engage and connect. And so I'm going to put the question up on the screen, and it's this. How do you explain why one qualified person is available for the moment of celebration when other qualified persons are not? Why is that? And, and what does that mean? And how does that... Uh, apply to our spiritual journeys. So what I'm going to do is just take a minute and pray. I'm going to pray that God highlights for you uh, some things that I, he highlighted for me this week in regards to why oftentimes I don't engage with my God in celebrating uh, the things he's clearly doing and has been doing for me. So let's, let's just take a minute. Heavenly Father, we just lay all distractions down. We come in, Lord, knowing that you've called us here. We gather, Lord, knowing that you are the reason. You are the example. You are what we're here to talk about and learn from. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, this would not be a message. It would be an engagement, God, between the hearts in this room and the Holy Spirit's desire for those hearts. I thank you, Father. I thank you for every single soul you've brought today. May you engage them. May you awaken them May you convict them. May you shower them with your love through your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The passage I'm going to use is in the book of 2 Samuel. I think it's a wonderful example of celebration as it's intended to be. And it surrounds a very well-known character in God's word, and his name is King David. Now, David at this time is a fairly new king. He's gathering his people. He's building unity. And he hears that the Ark of the Covenant, the place where at this time God's spirit rested, the chest of his presence, is blessing everyone around it in the house that it resides. And he says, well, why wouldn't we want God to bless our whole nation? We should go bring it home. And so he goes and he gets the Ark, and this is the story of it finally coming home. We'll start partway through verse 12. So David brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, 
and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So David is really, really excited. He's so excited that he's taking the usual example of celebration to sacrifice an animal before God, and he's, he's included it into every six steps of this march from this house quite a ways outside the city, uh, all along the path till it comes inside, and he's dancing, and with every step and with every sacrifice, David begins to celebrate more and more and more. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael the daughter of Saul, who was David's wife, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So more sacrifices, more giving, more examples of celebrating this this place that God was. Verse 18, and when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Now, I have helped coordinate some fairly large potlucks. And I have fed upwards of 1,500 to 2,000 people at one event. Can you imagine the amount of work and thought that would go into coordinating the feeding of a nation? That every man and woman would get a cake of bread, a portion of meat, every single person would be participating in the celebration because of David's forethought and David's planning. This was very, very thought out. This was very, as we say in church sometimes, programmed. Ooh, getting into some theology here now, aren't we, people? You're like, I just like to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants. Have you, rarely have you experienced the Holy Spirit just showing up with enough cakes for everyone. He brings that stuff to people like on Thursday. Wednesday, apparently David had a plan. He's like, I want to kill everything and feed everyone. And they planned that. They, they put effort into that. And the whole city was abuzz with celebration. The whole city except for Saul's daughter, Michael, who was painfully and hurtfully despising David, verse 28. And David returned to bless his own household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said... Now, I've heard of some rough husband-wife exchanges. I've had a few rough <laughs> husband-wife exchanges. This one is probably one of the more brutal in the text. She comes out and she says, <clears throat> you know she did that to get his attention. You know she waited till he made eye contact so she could tell him what was up. How the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She says, you forgot who your audience was, King David. There's some people who saw some stuff they shouldn't have saw. There's some people who were not impressed with your celebration or the way that you did what you did. And frankly, I'm disappointed in you. But David, who's fairly full of the Holy Spirit at this point, as all husbands are during an argument. <laughs> well, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. Verse 21. 
And David said to Michael, <laughs> this is what he said to her, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And then he, he ramps it up. And I will make merry before the Lord. Matter of fact, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you've spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Now, it shows in the lineage of David, whether it be because of David's now realization that, that Michael had more of a political agenda than a, uh, than a love agenda. Maybe it's because she was the last of the lineage of Saul. But what we do know is that according to the Bible, David and her never had a child. And when she died, the lineage of Saul died with her. See, there's a difficult thing here to unpack when it comes to celebration. I like this quote by Ashley White. She's a blogger and she wrote about this specific story. She says this, although the music on the streets fell upon his ears, it was the music in his soul David could not contain. His heart burned with passion, joy, hope, gratefulness, and love. He rejoiced freely before his audience of one. In one sense, Michael was right. You forgot who you were dancing around, David. People around saw and they made decisions and they had opinions based on what they saw. And you forgot what people are going to say tomorrow morning about you. But David had it more right when he realized, but the person I'm dancing for was God. And so frankly, I don't care what everybody else thinks. I'm going to dance before my God because if it brings him joy like he was proclaiming to the city, bring God joy, then guess what? I will be more contemptible. I will be more abased. I will be viewed more as, as a mad dancing king in the future than any other thing because I want to bring glory to my God for the goodness he's brought to me. I want to celebrate. Now, there's two rights here, but there is a more right. And David is more right because God and the audience of one that he represents means so much more to us as Christ followers than the audience of many that this world often likes to gather around to proclaim. We are people who are supposed to serve an audience of one. We are people who are supposed to lose ourselves, as the quote said, with passion, joy, hope, gratefulness, and love for God and all he's done for us. Now, I said earlier because I think sometimes the charismatics in the room like the idea of getting lost and getting caught up in a movement. But I want to point out once again the cakes and the meat and the sacrifice. That this was something through the Spirit's anointing that was very much so thought out and planned. This entire worship experience was uh, not David. I'll put it on the screen. His dancing was not some neutral act of praise. He just wasn't caught up. He was releasing himself. He was strategically being authentic, and he had thought through this. And you'll see it as you unpack even a little bit of his story, because this David had over and over and over again within his story, uh, he had been a king who unashamedly stripped himself of royal vestments over and over again. He was a king who unreservedly committed to abandoning all notion of whatever it meant to be uh, part of God's nation in exchange for being one of God's children. Not many people can exchange being part of God's nation for being one of God's children. The nation is safer. The nation is bigger. The nation is, is us. And so many times we have to think that way. God called us to love as a church and be a people group. But too often people's consciences 
get caught up in the church and then they feel like they don't have any ability to make a change or any ability to do any different. And so they just vote with the church. They pray with the church. They worship with the church. And I'm here to tell you, I hope you don't think that I'm responsible for your spiritual worship maturity and celebration. Because if this church goes sideways or if I'm having an off week, do you get to go, well, that's the ceiling of connection I can have with God this week. I'm not your ceiling. Your spouse, by the way, is not your ceiling either. Your mentor, not your ceiling. Your limited knowledge, not your ceiling. Your education, not your ceiling. Your ceiling, there is not one. (laughs) Your ceiling is really just your inability to release strategically like David who you are before God. You can see this when David was living his life on the run from Saul. From a scriptural-based standpoint, you can see within his story that David's robust intimacy with God is seen throughout all kinds of his actions. Just think about Saul. See, Saul was the king who was anointed before David, and Saul was beautiful. He was head and shoulders above every other person in the nation. When you said king, you thought Saul. He was anointed by Samuel, same person that anointed David, by oil. They were blessed with presence of the Holy Spirit. They were the same people. Again, that earlier question, they were both qualified. And yet you can see inside Saul's story that Saul was constantly falling out of intimacy and out of connection with God. He was constantly caught up in what the nation thought, what the people thought, what the window watchers thought, instead of what God thought. He was fearful when he should have been trusting He was cautious when he should have been bold, and he was envious when he should have been welcoming. And the biggest difference, I'll put it up, the biggest difference between Saul and David comes when Saul forgets that his source of celebration lies beyond himself and centers in the God who called him. See, there is no ceiling to my celebration because there is no ceiling to the amount of glory and honor I give to God. The ceiling, the cap, The bottleneck comes when I hear the applause dying out from those who watch. Because maybe that's what I'm really celebrating. My own story, my own glory, my own connection. Saul got caught up in what the nation thought, and so he listened to them instead of God. David never did this. By contrast, David seems to be constantly engaged in intimate prayer and praise. He has wonderful personal traits, but no more traits or gifts than Saul. But over and over through his story, he refuses to rely on his own traits alone. Over and over, he says, yeah, we could, from a military strategic standpoint, take over that. Or, yeah, we could accomplish this. Or, yeah, we could ambush these people. But he continues through his intimate connection with God to say, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. Over and over again, you hear of David facing a giant with nothing but prayer and some stones. Even when he's on his run and he's trying to escape for his life, his great valley of brokenness, he includes two priests, Abathar and Zadok, as his closest uh, uh, companions. So he's hurting, he's broken, and he's still like, I got to go to church. I got to get with somebody. I got to get help. He never blames God for his troubles. He prays through his story so often that his men sometimes grow impatient with him. They're like, we got to go, now's the time. I'm just going to pray a little bit longer. We got to do this. We got to run, they're coming. I'm not quite wrapping up this prayer yet. This is a man who doesn't listen to anyone but God. 
This is a man who refuses in the end to even raise his hand against Saul who was trying to kill him out of respect for the fact that God at one time had anointed him. I mean, that's a profound, impacting outlook. That you have so much respect for who God is in someone's life that even if that person's life begins to go sideways, you have respect for who God is in their life, and so you decide to take a step back. This is difficult. This is hard stuff. But because of David's choice, because he continued to intimately connect with God and celebrate both on the high and the low end, both on the mountaintops and in the valleys, because God was his source, his audience of one, over and over and over again, the text repeatedly says the Lord was with him. Over and over and over again, difficult situation, the Lord was with him. Incredibly beautiful situation, the Lord was with him. Mediocre situation, Lord's with him. Strenuous situation, Lord's with him. Joyful, glorious situation, Lord's with him. David's source is God. And his intimate connection and the reason that he can be who he's supposed to be is because he knows that the Lord's with him. And one day that phrase gets poured over him that has been repeated time and time again in 1 Samuel. David became a man after God's own heart. He became a man who followed into the darkness or the brightness. He was willing to go where God called him to go. This trust in the Lord is such in David that he repeatedly takes actions. He repeatedly takes actions that break the rules and cause what some might call a mad behavior. Whenever he's convinced of the direction of God, he goes. In spite of whatever customs or publicity or religion says he should do, he requests and receives the holy bread of the priest when his men are famished and on the run. He goes to church and then says, we're really hungry. Is anybody eating that? That's the Lord's bread. I think the Lord wants me to have it. He has such connection to God, even the priest, he's not like, I do whatever you want. He's like, no, I do what God wants. God wants me to be king. David knows this. God said he's going to be king, and I'm about to die, which means that's the only bread for three miles around. Bring it. And the priest does. He doesn't starve for his religion. He says, I know God, and I know him better than I know my religion. He eventually even takes refuge with Israel's great enemy, the Philistines, and lives among them as a madman. So now not only is he a madman among them, that's why they're not killing him because they're like, this was the ex-king who lost his mind. He's also a madman among the Israelites who are like, why is he doing this? This is crazy. His behavior makes no sense. As a matter of fact, there's a huge portion of the book of 2 Samuel where everyone is confused but David. Everyone is wondering, what are you doing? And he's like, don't worry. We're going to go down there. Why would you go down there? There's danger. That's where God is. This other example with Michael, we're going to bring the ark in. We're going to feed everybody. Why? Because that's where God is. We're going to do whatever we need to do to stay connected to God, whether that is celebrate or sleep or let go or lift up or move out or move down. Or It makes no difference. We're just going to go where God wants us to go. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to step out, and we're going to take whatever bruises come with that stepping. Do you know what kind of freedom that brings? I'm about to tell you what kind of freedom it brings. It brings an incredible sense of, of confidence in this idea that God has you. And I'm here to tell you, when God has, has you, not only can you survive great punches to your soul, you can also survive the gift of great diamonds. 
to your soul. Because the problem with church is, is that everybody gathers and evaluates everybody else based on their gift mix, not based on their connection to God. So that's why I'm here to tell you, I'm just going to say it. If you know all the scriptures in the world, if you know 10 times more than the person sitting next to you, but you cannot love, you cannot proclaim with celebration the goodness that God has done in your life, even in the bad, then I just want you to know you might be missing something. I've met so many people who think that suffering well by itself is the answer to true spiritual maturity. And I've met so many people who think only celebration is the true spiritual answer to maturity. And I'm here to tell you today, and I don't do a lot of this uh, soapbox pastoring, but get ready for it, because I want you to know right now, it is so important that you realize it is both. You have to be able to take the punches and you have to be able to take the treasures. God does not say, he doesn't want you to take punches and go, no treasures for me, God, I'm not good enough. He's like, are you kidding? This is joy, this is fun, this is excitement, this is gifts. And no one wants to pick up the treasures because it's gonna wreck my humanity. It's gonna wreck my story. I'm here to tell you, as a guy who was given a $2 million building last year, (laughs) I'm picking up those treasures, people. Right, we're picking up. We're picking up the treasures. We're not saying, oh, God, we don't deserve it. We already know we don't deserve it. And he's certainly not confused by us deserving it or not. But God blesses with the presence of his ark and David sacrifices. He didn't sacrifice because God blessed him. He sacrificed because God was willing. It's the same David in the street sacrificing as the one that lives in the cave. It's the same David who says, I will suffer well and I will sing well. I will do whatever you call me to do, God. Suffer or sing right? Tearing or treasure, whatever you call me to do, God, that's what I'm going to do because I'm going to bring glory to you. I want to bring connection to you. And when I fall out of that place, please remind me. The bringing of the ark and David's dancing before it is just really another mad example of David's celebratory trust in who God is. And so look at, there's the previous question answered. How do you explain why one qualified person is available for the moment, like David, of celebration when other qualified persons like Saul are not. And it's really quite simple, but unbelievably hard to hear because it seems that the secret of true celebration is a robust intimacy with God. If you have a connection with God, I'm here to tell you, we could start this whole church over in a gas station. If God's with us, it doesn't matter. But if God is not with us, then it doesn't matter how many buildings we're given. It doesn't matter how many blessings we're given. It doesn't matter how much talent we have or how well we can pull off whatever it is we scheme to pull off. If God is not with us, then it will all be for naught because it is only through the intimacy and connection with him that we are able to celebrate this difficult marriage. That wayward child, sickness, hurt, sadness, or the new house, the new baby, the raise, the blessing and the beauty of having things go so well for a life that you know is no different than your neighbors who's struggling so much. It's being intimately connected with him that allows us to step into a place to receive from him whatever it is he wants to teach us, whatever it is he wants to show us. And it is hard, please hear me, I'm not trying to preach it as if I know how to do it, I'm just trying to preach it because it's what the word says. It is not easy and it is very difficult. It's not accidental that tradition attributes much of the most intimate prayers and praises, okay, to David in the Psalms. Both 
both walking through the valley of the shadow of death and watching a deer drink all the water he wants. Those are both David's life. He has dry bones and he has a a vine that never ceases. He's both because he's connected to where God is and so he shares in what God has for him. As I read and think about this, it seems that quite often God is calling us to put off the robes of our comfortable roles and madly dance into his presence with celebration. As a matter of fact, as David's story continues, for those of you who know it, it is when he loses touch with that intimate relationship with God and trusts in his own authority that he gets into trouble. It's when David was at the height of his success that his loss of being centered in God's presence brought his kingdom and his family into tragedy. It's when he loses touch with that part of him because everything's going so well and things are happening so much and he begins to listen to people around him and the song of the world begins to sing over the songs of God and so he makes choice after choice after choice that brings him to his knees. He's confronted. And when he's confronted, he hears the voice of God through a prophet who says, you've lost your way. And David falls to his knees, and he has so much trust in God and who he is that there is no doubt in his mind that God will accept him back. And he says, yes, I have. And he comes screaming back to him. It is the connection and the loss of the connection that determined the path of David's life. What if it's the connection and the loss of connection in your life? What if it's not found in the next church or the next book or the next self-help system? What if it's not found in anything other than you allowing your heart of stone, my heart of stone, to be exchanged for a heart of flesh that hurts, that tears, that can be filled with treasure, that can go away? This is one of the problems I have with blessing. I love blessing. I just don't like when blessing goes away. (laughs) It's like showing up on Christmas morning with a bunch of presents to find out only one of them is yours. It's not fun. We serve a God who wants to walk you through all of that. A life filled with celebration must be constantly measured by evidence of an ongoing and intimate relationship with God. I want to have a life filled with celebration. I want to have a church filled with celebration. I want to be a church that is constantly measured by the evidence of an ongoing and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all I want. That's all I'm looking for. Everything else can fall apart. But if we're intimately connected, whether it's here in this room, another room, or a garage, or a coffee shop, if we are intimately connected together or by ourselves, and the evidence of that is pouring forth from our lives that I believe we will accomplish the goals of the kingdom that God wants us to. I think it will be unstoppable and unchangeable. I had somebody in the back say, man, something's happening here. There's a lot of people here for midsummer. Something's happening here. And I'm like, yeah, they're about to, they're about to get a mouthful. God brought you all because he wants you to know it's time to celebrate. It's time to lift up. I'm not saying it's time to go easy or or have easy. I'm saying it's time to embrace the life you've been given and use it to bring other people into the celebration of God's forgiving love for so many. It's easier said than done. And unfortunately, there have been many of God's people that have confused success like David did at that time or like Saul did with celebration, with intimate connection. Um... About 10 years ago or so, I was wrapping up a time where I was at another church that had experienced incredible celebration uh, for its early season. 
And that celebration eventually started, uh, at least for me and a few others who were there, kind of evolving into more success orientation than celebration orientation. And I remember about year six or seven, uh, I had this youth group that was just incredible. As a matter of fact, I have many students here, including a few of my staff members, were in this youth group uh, at this other church that I loved. And at one point, we had a, a thousand kids in youth group, more people than I have in Kesed right now. So it was just amazing what God was doing. But these things started to get highlighted. The numbers started to get highlighted. The weekend attendance started to get highlighted. The campuses started to get highlighted. And I remember that started to be what we talked about. And at the time, I was 27, 28 years old, and I was trying to figure out sort of what that meant. And slowly, after a few years, my connection, my intimacy with God just, just waned. My marriage was full of all kinds of trouble. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I was, I was just in a really hard place spiritually. And so I made a decision about year 10 into that church that I was going to leave. And so I told uh, the leadership of the church, and I, and I told them why. And uh, I told them in my 29-year-old self, uh, which is probably different than I would have said now at 40. But I, but I left. I left. And uh, after I left, um, about six or nine months later, we started brainstorming, uh, and we, we, uh, we planted Kesset. When we planted Kesed, uh, it was one of the most difficult things I'd ever done because of my intimate connection. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our first services uh, that was a decent amount of people was on Easter. And I remember there's a lady here today. I preached this whole service. I was dripping sweat. As a youth pastor, you never preach Easter, Mother's Day, Christmas. You don't preach those services. So although I had been in ministry for nine years, all of a sudden I'm preaching Easter. And I preach this service and I go back and I'm sitting against the wall and this lady walks up to me and she says, Dan, that was a great service. You might want to talk about Jesus, though in the next one. <laughs> it was brutal. I should have brought it. There's a picture, actually, of me against that wall that someone took. Um, uh, it was brutal. It was brutal. And my connection had to be fostered in this place, in this kind of cavey place. Kind of small, not a lot of resources. It was difficult. Well, about a year and a half into it, the church is doing well, and I'm doing well, and my, my marriage is doing well, and there's intimacy, and there's a connection, and, and I thought, okay, we've, we've made it. We're here. We're going to survive. We're going to be all right. And then um, my wife came to me and said, I need to talk to you about something. And uh, without, I didn't know this, but after I had left, uh, the church that I had been at, um, that pastor wrote a book, and in the book, he dedicated an entire chapter to me and my leaving and the pain that I caused them. Uh, he poured over me words like Judas, which is a pretty big word. It's a pretty big word. Uh, Absalom, which is the son of David that tries to take over the kingdom. Uh, and then he said that uh, something along the lines of my offenses hurt worse than cancer. And I remember, now at this point I'm 31, and, and I remember being slightly agitated. And I remember thinking, this is in my community. This is in print forever. And this is a huge church. And I've got this little tiny group of people. And I'm just trying to survive and restore my connection. And I remember getting all these opportunities, including that coming Sunday, to set the record straight. And as I prayed about this, because of that place that I was in, this is, this is God's saving work. This is an illustration of God's saving work. I felt deep inside my heart that it was not mine to address. And so I said nothing, which I don't know if you understand the miracle it takes for me to say nothing. It is, it is, 
I mean, it is an absolute, it is, it is, there's Moses and the water parting and Danny saying nothing. Those are, those are like, those are, I mean, th- that just doesn't happen. I don't think it's ever happened since. But God just said, that's not yours. And so I said nothing. And as people came to me, reading me the posts, emailing me the posts, quoting the, the pages, scheduling coffees with me, I just sat silently and, and danced madly, in a sense, in my seat. I just would sit there and like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every time they would share with me, it was something new. Some of the stuff wasn't even in the book. And I was like, I've read the chapter. That doesn't even exist. But it wasn't mine to say. So I said nothing. And I danced madly by myself with my wife and a small group of folks before God and said, I don't know, but you seem to be here and you've called us here. And so we're going to stay here and we're going to shut our mouths. Fast forward 10 years. Kesset is healthy. Kesset is transparent. Kesset is authentic. Kesset has five months left before we move into a home and there's really nothing distracting. There's nothing keeping our community from just becoming this, this God force in this really dark area of the world, by the way. I mean, the conversations I get to have with people of different cultures in the Vancouver-Portland area because of you guys, because of your love, because of what God's doing in this place are unbelievable. We'll end up doing a whole series, I think, just about these incredible conversations. Uh, I had one last service. Unbelievable what God's doing. Well, here's all this wonderful stuff happening. Here's all this momentum. And then about two months ago, I get an email from our local paper that lets me know that they are requesting to interview me about my time at that church I loved. They want to know about my exit and why and what insight I could have into what's been going on in that church since because it's had some struggles. I didn't reply. I still felt like God was, same thing I felt all those years ago, creating the miracle of silence in Danny's life. So I just didn't reply. So they sent a second email, a little more uh, clear on what they were going to do. I didn't reply. And so they sent a third email. It's last, I think, Thursday, Wednesday. And in this email, they said, look, Danny, this is your last chance to talk with us because you are going to be mentioned in this article, whether you talk to us or not. And we're going to talk about you, and we're going to talk about Kesset. And I'm like, you're not talking about anybody. I'll tell you that right now. You can talk about me. You're not going to talk about Kesset. That was only for a second. Because once again, God showed up, and he goes, no, we're not going to do that. And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this really quiet place with this sermon that I built. And I talked to some people, and they said, well, we're a community, right, that's authentic. And this article is going to come out, and you're going to be mentioned So why don't we just all dance madly together and just let them know what's happening? And so in a few weeks, there's going to be, I think, a five-part article on this church that I love and on some people that I love. And somehow, some way, I'm going to be weaved into the story. And then somehow, some way, you're going to be weaved into the story. And I'm just here today to let you know that I'm not feeling still upon my heart that it's my right to set the record straight. I don't feel like there's much to say, and so I'm just going to dance madly, apparently before all of Clark County, (laughs) as they describe whatever version of events they have. 
And I wanted to let you know, because first off, if there was anything ever to share or disclose, we would do it here, not on the paper. We would talk. There isn't. Uh, there's, there's nothing to say or disclose. There's just simply more insight about a rough situation 10 years ago, and I don't feel like I need to add to that. And so I'm going to choose to stay quiet, and I'm going to choose to let you stay quiet with me. I'm going to ask that that's what happens, that we stay off the comments and we stay off the blogs and we stay off Facebook, and we just dance madly as people proclaim, didn't you hear, don't you know, aren't you part of we're just, we're just going to let God do what he does. And I think it's actually going to end up blessing for some reason. I actually think it's going to end up healing. I've been in touch with that church, and, and I, we're praying, and we're connecting, and we're, you know, there's all kinds of goodness there with the leadership now. But the reality is that I, I want nothing but good things for the church that I love because it's still a church that I love. And they're doing good things. And they don't need me to add to their history. And they don't need you to add to their history. And so I'm going to ask you to dance madly with me. I'm going to ask you to be a part by not being a part. And to be a leader by not adding. And to be still and to be quiet. And to let all the hullabaloo blow over. <laughs> because I think God has brought us here. And I think the reason he filled both services today is just because some of you so desperately needed to hear that because this place that I'm speaking to you from is a place that you so desperately want to be, which is a place connected intimately to God, celebrating both the, the, the gifts and the valleys, the known and the unknown, the given and the taken. I want to be that example. I want to be that pastor, and I want to be a part of a church like that. And so I'm asking you to to walk this out. I'm asking you to use this for your own life. Watch closely. As I and others suffer well, watch closely as we dance to music no one else hears. Because that's how God's called us to live. Because that noise does make a difference. God will use our silence to scream his love into this community that I was born into, that I'm from, and that I'm proud to lead a church within. So I don't know what your foolish act of devotion is supposed to look like. I just shared with you authentically mine and what that's going to look like. But I know you have one. I know God's calling you to love somebody unlovable. I know he's calling you to speak in when you're not supposed to or stay quiet when you have something to share. I know he wants to use you to touch people. I know he wants to use you to love people. And I know you might feel foolish and look foolish and people will see what you're doing and, and read into it when the reality is all God's asking you to do is dance madly in his presence no matter how high, no matter how low. And in that way, we can lose ourselves with purpose. And in that way, we can bring ourselves exactly to the place that God wants us, which is on our knees, lifting our hands, proclaiming him worthy, celebrating the love his father has for us. I love you guys, and I'm... Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father... Lord, in this room right now, we know you're doing all kinds of stuff. You're stirring up all kinds of stuff. Some people have never seen anything like this. Some people are frustrated. Some people are furious. Some people are happy. God, you know all those emotions, and you're more than capable of handling them. 
I ask in this room right now, God, that each person would be able to look within themselves at their own intimate connection, at their own place, that they would evaluate, God, where they are and bring celebration to you no matter. Thank you for this story, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this church. We lift up all the churches in our community and all the things, God, that you're doing with them. You are so amazing how you provide and how you lead. And we are so grateful to just be one of many that seeks to celebrate you and the work you've done. Thank you, Father. May you just allow us now to take a moment and ponder our own place in this. How well are we celebrating? How well are we looking for you in the midst of our own storms? or in the midst of our own castles, whether good or bad, God, do we see you in it? Allow us just to take a moment to lift these questions up from our hearts and receive answers only from you. In Jesus' name, amen.